Hello and welcome to this audio edition of the Ex-Mormon Files with host Earl Erskine. Thank you for joining us. On each episode of this program, Earl, a former LDS bishop, interviews a former Mormon guest about their journey out of Mormonism and into an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. These stories are encouraging, fascinating, and often moving. For more information on the Ex-Mormon Files internet video program, please visit exmormonfiles.com. That's exmormonfiles.com. And now, here's Earl. I'm your host, Bishop Earl, and I thank God for this opportunity, and I thank the many volunteers who make this possible. I was a Latter-day Saint for over 60 years, a faithful Latter-day Saint, and I love the LDS people, but I, I know that there are LDS people, faithful ones, who are leaving and questioning the church, some because of church doctrine, others because of church history, some because they can't keep the commandments and they feel guilty and frustrated, and there are those that uh, just can't do enough or be good enough and uh, just don't fit in. I hope that tonight the story that's shared with you will touch your heart and make you, uh, let you realize that there is life after Mormonism. And let's begin with a prayer. Father in heaven, we ask for your spirit to be with us tonight, that the things that are said will please you and will again touch hearts and soften hearts. We're grateful for our many blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to welcome Norm Dunham tonight as our guest, and we appreciate you coming and sharing your story with us. Thanks for having me. Um, you were Latter-day Saint, of course. Yes, so I was. So tell us a little bit about your history as a Latter-day Saint. Well, I grew up here in Salt Lake City. I was born and raised here, and yeah. so... Um, the LDS Church was really the path of least resistance oh. living here. Um, I had a lot of my relatives. Neither of my parents were active members, but all my aunts, uncles, cousins were all active members. So it was just that was what we, what we did. And yeah. so um, me, along with all of my siblings, we were baptized when we were eight and yeah. um, just continued on you know, doing <laughs> church for... For quite a few years, um, you have have nine brothers and sisters. I have is that right? I have eight siblings. I'm eight the youngest siblings, of nine. Oh, okay. Um, four from my dad's first marriage, two from my mom's first, and then three from their marriage okay. together. Um, and was it were they supportive of you going to church? As a, they were very supportive. Kids? They were they were of the attitude that they wouldn't force anything on us, but they allowed us to to go where we to wanted go. to go and. Um, it was just natural yeah. to go to the LDS church. It was all of our friends were there. And, yeah. and honestly, I did believe it. Sure. Um, yeah. My uncles, aunts, all my relatives who were members, um, I respected them, believed that they wouldn't lead me astray. Yeah. And so I believed that the church was true. And yeah. um, it was my decision to be baptized at eight years old. Wow. It was, uh, again, it was, we, none of us were forced to be baptized. So it all was, Your do choice, you want yeah. to be baptized and we were given the choice and it was my decision to mm. um to be baptized and i think part of that was to gain the praise of my aunts and my uncles because they you all knew that they wanted yeah to, they, i knew that they wanted to, me to and um a big buzzword when i was a kid was responsibility yeah. um and so to hear them say oh you're such a responsible young man to make this decision made you feel good. Um, it made me feel good sure um, it very much did so yeah. um so being baptized and then growing up um, well, now you became a deacon and teacher um yeah my parents divorced and i ended up living with my dad in west valley um and going to church there and when i was 12 and 
um, I was invited to become, okay. to receive the Aaronic Priesthood through the bishop. And yeah. um, I was ordained as a deacon and I was made the president of the deacon's quorum, which I thought was a, a great achievement. But in reality, I was, I was the only member of the Aaronic Priesthood in our entire ward. Oh. We had no teachers, we had no priests. We had me and then all of the older gentlemen. So for um, passing the sacrament, that was a, <laughs> so for, yeah, a group passing, affair. Passing the sacrament, I was always the shortest. Oh. <laughs> um, so, but it did. It, it gave me a, a sense of responsibility. Again, I had this position, position this title. Yeah. I was the president. And yeah. um, it gave me a sense of, of, of responsibility. And um, it really uh, it felt good yeah. to, to be part of that. And um, soon after that is when we moved to Colorado. Um, and the first time I actually got to interact with other young men from in the LDS church. church. Um, but you did go like to Manti Pageant and youth conferences um, you mentioned. Uh, yeah. You, we, uh, was this with your own ward or with the state? This or? was with our ward after I had moved to Colorado. Oh, I see. We brought a group of, of young people back here mm. um, to go to a youth conference at BYU. And we all got a chance to go down to the Manti Pageant. Mm. Um, and I think that was one place where my testimony was strengthened even more sure. because of all the people who were there who were challenging. Yeah. Um, and it seemed that all was... the people that were outside the... Yeah, the people the outside pageant. the temple who what were... What did you think of them? Um, I thought they were very mean people. Um, I think I told a few of them that they were very stupid. <laughs> um, I didn't think they knew what they were talking about. And of course, at this time, uh, that I think, I believe I was 13 at the time. Yeah. Um, having no real knowledge of, of LDS history or anything, I was challenging them. When they would say things about the church, I would, I would tell them they were dead wrong, that they were just reading anti- You knew anti, the church was true. I knew the church was true. Yeah. And, and that was always the times when my testimony became the strongest, sure. is whenever anybody challenged it again. De defended the church. Yeah. yeah. Again, in, I think I was 16, and I had been going. A friend of mine had invited me to his youth group um, at a Nazarene church um, in Colorado. And there was a girl there that I liked, so I continued to go um, <laughs> until their youth pastor challenged Mormonism. Happens, yeah. um, and I, I probably hadn't been active in the Mormon church off and on at that point for months. But as soon as his challenge came against the Mormon church, I stood up and I, I probably called him a few names that a, a good Mormon kid shouldn't, <laughs> um, and uh, stormed out and never went back to that youth group, but went back to the LDS church. And uh, again, for... Uh, a few months, that strengthening of my testimony through yeah. his challenge drew me back into wow. um, the You LDS went to space. seminary, took seminary? Went to seminary. Um, Had a testimony? It was early Joseph morning, early morning seminary. We would go, um, a group of four or five of us would pile in my friend's little orange Chevette <laughs> and drive to seminary. And the first couple of years, my freshman and my sophomore year, I attended very, very yeah. religiously. Right. Right. And, uh, then in my junior and senior year, I started to get, you know, a little yeah. lax with my yeah. going. And we'd show up in the morning, and my friend and I would just walk out while everybody else went up. And we'd go two or three days a week mm -hmm. um, as we grew older and kind of distant yeah. from it. But, but you still had a testimony, would you say, of Joseph Smith? Oh, I still did. Book um, of Mormon. And... Um, if anybody challenged it, I was. Yeah. And, and even I would have, I remember talking to my dad at that time, I would have... Um, episodes where um, I would feel that burning in my bosom. 
that yeah. they talk about. And I, I still remember the, the sensation. And I would, I would feel this just sitting around in the living room, and I would start flipping through the TV channels, and there was a religious channel that we would watch. And it seemed like every time I'd get this feeling, I'd turn to this channel, and there was a Mormon show on. And I remember mentioning it to my dad. I'm like, you know, this, this must mean the answer, church is true, yeah. because I'll get this feeling, and I'll go through the channels, and there's always a Mormon show on. Um, and that would, it would just strengthen my, yeah. my testimony. And even though I would dabble in other things and get in trouble and wander away, that, that strength of that testimony was still there. I still had a belief that the Book of Mormon was true, that Joseph Smith was a prophet, um, that every successing prophet from that on was what spoke for God. For God. Yeah. Um, up until that point, it was Ezra Taft Benson. Yeah. Um, so even though you weren't going to seminary as regularly, were you going to church, or was that kind of hit and miss as um, well? Or? Church was hit and miss sometimes as well. I regularly attended, um, usually after sacrament meeting, I would sneak out, go across the street to the Dunkin' Donuts and have coffee with my dad. Oh, dear. Um, so, um, now, did that, but, was that a guilty thing for you? I mean, it, it very much was, especially well, when church would get over and the rest of the members of the church would come and get their dozen donuts on their way home. Oh, dear. And I would be sitting there drinking my coffee with my dad. There was a guilty feeling to it, but it was, again, it just seemed to me like I should you know, treasure the time with my dad yeah. as much as, and, and I always felt like at least I went to sacrament meeting. So, yeah. um, like you, so I would justify, yeah, yeah, I would justify my, my reasoning in it, but I still, even though I kind of didn't do everything I was supposed to, I still had that, that strong testimony of, okay. you know, it was true, but, um, it was more just a, a an excuse of being a kid. Yeah. So what happened in your, Later teens and early um, 20s? And in my later teens, as I was finishing up with high school, I got really involved in the game Dungeons & Dragons, mm. um, which led to an interest in the occult. Um, and so when I, when I joined the Army, my dog tags actually said LDS. Um, but the religion that I claimed when people would ask me while I was in Germany was Wicca. I would I would claim that I was a Wiccan and and that's um, part of the occult or it's it is, is part of the occult witchcraft. it's witchcraft yeah um, and so that and well, I what led you, know, you to, what led you to that do you think um, I think it was really the um, the game Dungeons and Dragons and oh, there's okay. a lot of wizardry and magic and, and stuff like that and that's really what what started my interest in the occult and led me into claiming Wicca as a religion yeah. Um, and so as I was in Germany, I began to have an issue with alcohol as well. Um, during the military. During time, my military yeah. years. Um, and that was, I had one really bad episode with alcoholism, um, had an alcoholic blackout, um, had some serious repercussions from the army. Is this just um, kids messing around, kind of drinking? You would just basically, say, it was you binge just drinking. It, it was binge drinking. The way you yeah. hear that college students do it. Yeah. Um, well, I, I was, was in the military yeah. for a while, and I, I never did drink, but I know my friends. I mean, this was their only opportunity to kind of break loose, yeah. and if they weren't under their parents' control, they kind of got a little carried away. And exactly. And so I was happened? 17 years old at the time. Wow. Um, you know, and. Uh, had this newfound freedom. And so the next, that morning I, I got into a lot of trouble, but that day I went back to my job of making appointments for the family practice clinic in the hospital, the military hospital there. Um, and an LDS woman came into my office to make an appointment. And I recognized that her husband was from Utah from his social security number. We got to speaking about 
the Mormon church and she asked me if I was Mormon and I, I kind of hum and hawed and said kind of. And um, <laughs> then a few hours later, I got a phone call from the bishop of inviting the LDS church, church inviting me to church. Yeah. Um, and rather than thinking that this young lady left my office, called the bishop, said, you need to call this guy, I just assumed it was another sign from God that I needed to return to the LDS church okay. because I had inter interacted with two Mormons that day Seemingly independent of, of each yeah, other yeah. Um, in Germany, right. um, and so I, you know, accepted the invitation to go back to church and oh. um, went back religiously for at least three months. Mm. Um, and <laughs> we had actually started talking about um, getting ordained in the Melchizedek priesthood because I had just turned eighteen. Um, and different things that were going to happen. We had even talked a little bit about the potential of when I got out of the military, going on a mission. Um, this is you and the bishop? Me, me and the bishop. And uh, so one afternoon he came to my apartment, and uh, I had been reading a Book of Mormon, a Bible, and a Koran. Um, and the Koran comes from a, a long history of interest in African-American culture. I had seen the movie Malcolm X, so I wanted to see what the book was about. Um, and when he came into my apartment, he didn't even say hi. He, he was like he just zoned in on the coffee table. With and he pointed, yeah, he pointed at the Quran and he said, how come you're reading that? And I said, well, I've always had an interest in African-American culture, and so I just wanted to see what it was about and because of Malcolm X. And he said, well, how come you have this interest in African-American culture? And I said, well, you know, I read the Bible, and it talks about that Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden were somewhere around that African continent and in the Middle East in that area. Um, so it just seems, you know, as life has sprung forth from this area of the world, I want to see what the culture is about. And he, and he said to me, he said, well, as Mormons, we believe that the Garden of Eden was in Jackson County, Missouri. And I stopped and I said, but wait. And I grabbed my Bible and I opened it up to Genesis and I said, look, here are some, some really clear landmarks. It talks about the Euphrates and the Tigris and, and yeah. Ethiopia. And it talks about these places that are over there, and he said, well, after the flood, the land's changed. And I said, you know, I don't know that I can believe that. And I said, if I can't believe that, how much of the rest of this can I not believe? And I said, I'm, I said, I'm done. Mm. Um, and it was, it was as simple as that. It was as quick as that. It, yeah. That cut everything. And I said, immediately, I was like, this is all wrong. And unfortunately, because of the Quran and, and so on, I became... I, I transitioned from being a Mormon to being a Muslim. Wow. Um, and, and yet they're not so dissimilar. I mean, they have a prophet who when it was in a cave and who saw an angel and mm -hmm. who produced a book and some similarities, Absolutely. Right? There's, a, there's quite a few similarities yeah. between Islam and Mormonism. Again, like you said, the, the prophet received, Muhammad received this yeah. dictated book from the angel who Gabriel. he said was Gabriel. Yeah. Um, so there's extra biblical scripture, there's prophets, um, there's a lot of work involved in their salvation. Yeah. Um, so there, is, and, and the, I think the big connection between the two is the belief that Jesus is not divine, that Jesus is not How God, that the, the Trinity you? is not real. And, and see, that was probably the one thing that I carried from Mormonism 
my entire life, that you had of, a belief in God. I believed that God was God, that Jesus was His Son, that the Holy Spirit, and that they were three completely different, separate beings, right. not a triune God, not one triune being, right. but yet that they were three different, individual, separate, completely right. different beings. Right. And so it seemed logical to me to go to um, Islam because the Bible says you shall have no gods before me. Islam cut out this middleman named Jesus. They believed in him. He was just a prophet, a prophet. Um, and went straight to Allah. And so that just seemed so natural for me to go into that. So for two years, I practiced Islam. Wow. Went prayed five times a day. Wow. Um, went to mosque whenever I could. Um, I worked graveyard shift, so I didn't get to go as much. But yeah. um, so that was that was my my next little transition. In um, now, my did you life, ever my transition religion. back to Latter Day Saint? From Never there? from that point did I so ever go back to Mormonism. Into, into the Christian. I world. became a Christian. Tell us um, that story. I worked with a nurse graveyard shifts in Washington. A nurse named Dan Munoz. Um, he was a he was a Lutheran who did quite a few Bible studies and studied Mormonism. Mm. Um, so we worked graveyard shifts. So from about midnight, when all the patients went to sleep, till five in the morning, we there was just the two of us. Yeah. So all we had to do was kind of talk. I had to sit and watch the heart monitors. So we would sit in front of the heart monitors. He would do his charting, and we would talk about Mormonism. Um, and, and Christianity? And Well, or it was more just learning from him the history of Mormonism. You were trying to um, teach him? He was, he was teaching me things that I had never heard. I mean, all the things that you hear about, you know, Joseph Smith being polygamous, because up until that point, I, I had heard about polygamy. I had no clue that, that Joseph, Joseph Smith Christ. had multiple wives. Now, I'm sorry, um, did you say he was former Latter-day Saint? He was not Latter-day Saint. He, he just studied, studied it. it a lot. Um, so you were learning things from him that you'd never heard that before. That I'd never heard before. That's happened. And several we've talked about, and I probably believe now that I know more about Mormonism since leaving it. Absolutely. True Mormonism than I did before. So you were yeah. learning all this. So I was learning these things, things from him, but yet I would still come back with arguments that I had learned in the Mormon Church. I would, I would say, well, you know, all religions have a little bit of truth, and you know, truth is like a mirror, and it fell off the wall and it shattered, and all these other religions picked up their own piece, but they never had the whole truth. And so I would use these arguments that I had learned in the Mormon Church um, to kind of still resist. Christianity, yeah. um, and so we went through, and again, my biggest stumbling block was the Trinity. Yeah. Um, so one night, Dan had taken vacation. They put me on with another RN who didn't really want to talk much. Um, so about two in the morning, I was really getting tired. I'd watched the bouncy green line for way too long and needed some kind of distraction, so I was looking for a book, um, and I worked in a hospital with a lot of nurses who read a lot of romance novels and I was even willing to pick up one of those but they had cleaned out the place and all I could find was a physics book and so I picked up this physics book and I started flipping through the pages just trying to find anything to to entertain myself to <laughs> to keep myself awake and I, I just happened to hit this section where it talked about um, energy and the the quote that I remember in the book they were talking about light and how all forms of energy exist in one or two forms, either waves or particles. And light was the only form of energy that existed as both waves and particles. And what the book said is science can't explain why light exists in these two, but it's true, so it's accepted. And there was no need to prove it or figure it out. And as I read that, 
it hit me that I believed what this what the Bible said. I had seen had people show me places where it talked about Jesus was in in Jesus dwelt the fullness of God, and that being in the very nature of God, He made nothing of Himself. And so all these things about Jesus being God that was in the book, my human mind couldn't understand it, but I believed what this book said. And so at this point, I said, I can accept it. Wow. I don't have to prove it any. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to totally comprehend it, but I accept it because I know that it's true because it's what the Word of God has told me. And so that was the point where I said, I can accept Christianity. I can accept the Trinity. I can accept that Jesus is God. And I can put down this, this works-based faith of Islam and I can, and Mormonism, I can be, and Mormonism, and I can be a Christian. Wow. Um, I'm going to have to rewind this and, and actually listen to again <laughs> what you said, so that I appreciate that. But I think God must have, as you've probably believed, left that book for you to Absolutely. to bring these kinds of concepts in together. Absolutely. So now you've you've kind of committed yourself to Christ at this point, or well, at this point, I became a Christian by name. Okay. I I said I'm no longer a Muslim. I'm no longer um, Mormon, I am Christian, I believe in Jesus Christ, um, but I didn't change any part of my lifestyle. But you did have an interesting um, born-again moment. I did. Um, I will, uh, yeah. So um, fast forward a couple years down the road, I had moved back here with the girlfriend that I was living with, um, back to Salt Lake City. Things didn't work out with us, broke up with her, met a nurse that I worked with at the University of Utah Hospital, and I was convinced she was the one. I was going to marry this woman. And life was going to be great. And again, I'd built everything on the foundation that she was the one I was going to marry. Yeah. And then, of course, she broke up with me. Um, so as I left her apartment one morning in June of 1997, um, remember I, well. <laughs> I, I remember it distinctly, um, I decided I was going to commit suicide. Because once again, I had this foundation that I thought was just concrete, rock-solid foundation that had been shattered. So I was like, I'm done. Um, now, there was no guilt with God, so to speak. No, no, it was, it was, no, it was, there I was mean, no guilt in anything. It was just depressed because I broke her. up with wow. this girl and I decided I, I was finished. So my not so foolproof plan, and I don't know, that my, my intention was going to be, I planned to drive my car through a guardrail off the belt route onto 3500 South. Um, I figured if I could get my car through the rail, drop down to the road below, um, and then expect another car to come along and, and finish the job. And that was my plan. Um, so as I kind of rounded the corner coming around um, on the belt route on 215, I had in my sight the, the spot where I wanted to drive my car through, decided I deserved a, a final cigarette. <laughs> and I reached down to, to light a cigarette and I hit my CD player um, and now I can tell you the song that was playing at the time. I, I didn't even really hear it, but I know there was a Christian song by Kirk Franklin called My Life is in Your Hands um, that was playing on my radio. Um, and so as I'm aiming my car towards this guardrail, I had a vision. Um, and it wasn't that the, the street was blocked out. It wasn't that anything, you know, I could still see, but I had a, a distinct vision in my head of Calvary. I saw Christ, I saw the thieves, I saw the Pharisees, I could see this, this vibrant scene of, of Christ being crucified and I heard an audible voice 
in the backseat of my car that caused me to look over my shoulder. There was, of course, no one was there. But I heard this voice that said, there's no pain you can feel for any reason that's greater than the pain he felt for you. And I immediately pulled my car over and I wept. And for what had to have been 45 minutes um, until a state trooper um, pulled up behind me, knocked on my window, asked me if I was okay. okay. Um, and I said, yeah. And so I, I finished my drive home um, cool. happened to turn on the TV and it was the 700 Club and they were doing a story about a woman who came out of witchcraft and became Christian. And so at this point in time, through this story and the, the host who invited us to, to pray the sinner's prayer, I prayed and repented and put my trust in Christ and that was wow. um, my salvation moment. That was the moment that I know I was saved, um, that I had given up everything, I had repented of my sin, and I'd put all my trust that I had in Jesus Christ as my Savior. Sometimes it takes it takes us to be broken, doesn't it? Mm, I mean, to eliminate all the pride, and and yet God was yeah. lo loved you enough to be able to share. Wow, what a really special experience! Absolutely. Um, and what did you? Uh, how did? Where did you go from there? Um, later that night, I had to go back to work, and there was. Uh, one of our interns on the cardiology floor had called in sick and they brought up an intern from the pediatrics rotation to fill in for him, um, which at the time seemed very odd and it doesn't make sense that that happened. But she commented on a cross I was wearing and she said, that's a beautiful cross. Are you a Christian? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah. And she says, well, how long have you been a Christian? I said, well, you know, I think for about 12 hours. <laughs> um, well, she invited me to her church. She was a Christian, and yeah. we talked, and she invited me to her church. And, um, and so in going to that church here in Salt Lake, um, I, that was where I felt my call to ministry. Um, God, in, you know, I felt like God spoke to me and said, you're going to minister, you're going to do that here. And now you've um, been involved in prison ministry, with youth ministry, with children's ministry. Yeah, I, I, we moved back to Colorado, actually, and I got involved in, in the church there. Started out doing children's ministry, moved into the jail ministry, became the youth pastor. Our senior pastor went on a sabbatical for six months, asked me to come in as the associate pastor and fill in while he was on sabbatical. Three months Eventually, into that, he decided he didn't want to come back, and, and so I was so I was inserted as the senior pastor. Well, um, do you think? Do you look back now, seeing all the different things that God has done for you to bring you to this point? I mean, don't you think your your life in each segment has has kind of led you to this moment when you were able to appreciate that those words from from God to, to your ears and absolutely, and it's just a. I could now look back over my life and just see how it was just a beautifully choreographed yeah. journey well, you, that God brought me on. You wanted to say something to the Latter-day Saints. Uh, get, yeah. We've got just a minute or so left. Can you share with, with them what you, uh, your, something you'd share with them? I think the biggest thing I, I want to convey, my, my hope for the LDS people, is that they can let go of this burden of works um, that the Mormon Church puts on them and take up the free gift of grace that is given through Jesus Christ. Um, to think that, that you can take this gift that Christ has given, which is called grace, and add anything to it, it cheapens the gift. Um, and so my hope is that they, would, that they would let go of the burden of works, receive the gift of grace through the true Jesus Christ, the triune God who is taught in the Bible, um, and receive that grace, let go of the works, let go of the burden, um, and just be able to truly rest 
um, in the grace that, that Jesus Christ gives through repentance and trust in the Savior. Norm, thanks so much for sharing your testimony and your story. You know, I, I do pray and hope, and I, I do realize that there's probably a lot of Latter-day Saints, young people even, that might be going through some of the struggles that you went through to, uh, to try to come to God. And uh, we love God, we know that He lives, and yet there's such a burden placed on us trying to keep the commandments, such a Absolutely. guilt. And I do think that's because of this man-made religion. And whether it comes from Islam or Mormonism, they're man-made. So trusting in the Bible, trusting in Jesus, that's, that's the way to go. That's the way to go. Amen. We appreciate you watching and join us next week. This has been the audio edition of The Ex-Mormon Files. The Ex-Mormon Files is a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City. For information about this program, including past and current video episodes, please visit exmormonfiles.com. From there, you can also download audio episodes of this program. If you have an ex-Mormon story you would like to share, we'd love to hear from you. Please write us at contact at exmormonfiles.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.